Welcome to Marketing with Confidence. I'm your host, Marianne Amies. We're going to be talking all things digital and online marketing for business owners and marketing professionals. If you've been feeling overwhelmed by your digital marketing, be sure to listen along and you'll hear tips, interviews and more that will give you the confidence to create marketing you love. So glad to be joined today by Amy Summers, Director and Lead Coach at Craft Coaching. Thank you for being here today, Amy. Oh, it's such a pleasure to talk to you, Marianne, especially in this way. <laughs> I know. I'm very fortunate that Amy has been my leadership coach for, oh, I think we're coming into the third year or definitely, definitely wrapping up the second year and has been an amazing part of my own growth and um, yeah, so it is really exciting to talk to you in this format, in a public format. Absolutely, absolutely. And about uh, a topic that um, you and I speak about a lot too. Yes, yeah, exactly. So I guess, look, to to let everybody else in on who you are, can you tell us a little bit about how you came to carve out your space as a leadership coach? Absolutely. Um yeah, I, I've been doing this work for almost 15 years now. So I started in more of the corporate space, um, coaching executives, CEOs, um, leaders, managing leadership programs and supporting um, executive coaches as part of, uh, you know, our bigger programs to yeah. um, deliver coaching as well. So I've sort of my career has spanned um, every angle, I guess, of <laughs> leadership development. So being the supporter, being an associate coach, and then um, managing programs as well. Wow. And um, over the years, I've just um, become accredited in a number of different assessments and diagnostics and um, I've been afforded the opportunity to work with some incredible people from all sorts of industries and backgrounds. And uh, I think all of those experiences um, are used every day now mm. with um, our, you know, our clients who are generally uh, leaders in creative industries and entrepreneurs, and they're my favourite people to work with. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, amazing. And how long have you been running Craft? So um, Craft has been running for since 2007. Wow. We rebranded in 2016. So before 2016, Craft Coaching and Development was called the Creative Edge. Yeah. And uh, Craft Coaching and Development, that that rebrand really was the kickoff um, to what you can see today and finding, you know, that that really kind of ideal client that we love working with yeah. and um, doing the work that we're doing today. So even though we were, we've been running the business for a, a very long time, it was alongside um, bigger media projects or um, contract work um, with other consulting companies or um, uh, I had a stint in government and in education. Yeah. And so really, I, I, you know, in my mind, 
2016 was when it really was, you know, was born into what you see today. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. And obviously, I think that's part of, I think, many journeys when you go from a professional career to having your own business, you kind of, it's like you straddle the two worlds for a little bit of, you know, supporting your income in what you've always done whilst you're building the thing that you really, you really want to do. And yeah, I definitely, I mean, I taught marketing and business for the first I think two, two to three years of my you know, sort of like of wise ups journey because mm. I, you know, I had to give it time to to develop and I had to give it time to, I guess, not have that pressure that it has to make it in the first 12 months because all your financial eggs are in that bucket and you know, doing the doing the doing great paid work. And it also gives you that connection back to you know what you what you've known in industry and 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 those sorts of things. I mean, for me, I guess. I stayed more connected with teaching, which is something I always loved and, and was able to use that to to then have the time. And I think I've been thinking a lot lately about time and pressure, you know, the pressure that people put on themselves to achieve things in certain time periods. And mm. if you can have a, a patient approach to building your business, what that does for you in a different way, you know, in a longer game sort of way. Absolutely. And I think my story is pretty similar to yours, Marianne, in that after having children, that was really the the catalyst yeah. to me saying, okay, now this yeah. is the, the chance to really dive in and to, you know, to take the risk. And um, I think you can work part-time when you come back from maternity leave um, quite legitimately. And yeah. so I had a I think I had a bit of a crossroad then where I realised, well, either I could work part-time for somebody else and I won't have time to coach yeah. under my own banner or I need to to throw myself into that and um, and quit my job. And that's exactly what I did. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it is. It's, 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 I mean, it's so many emotions. It's scary. It's exciting. It's the unknown. And I think... It's it's a unique experience of women that we, you know, we go down our career path. We 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 finish school, we set off towards our passion and we're building these careers. But then if children is part of your plan at some point or another, it's a crossroads because you have children and then it's almost like your career aspirations don't go away, but you can't go after them, you know, not necessarily, depending again in what industry and all those sorts of things, but it can be challenging to go after them with the same energy and focus mm-hmm. and then put the energy and focus towards, you know, raising a family if that's a priority for you as well. And I think it's that, that yeah, that crossroads of, well, I don't, I don't want all of what I've done so far to, you know, to account for nothing. Like I don't want to lose all the progression I've had and 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 where I am but also I kind of feel driven by different things now and I think yeah. I spent the first three years of my sort of freelancing you know wise up in its infancy talking about when I would go back to work you know I, I would say that all the time and then I'll go back to work you know once I have the you know we're going to have another baby and then I'll go back to work because it makes sense and then I'll go back to it I was so stuck on that thought that going back and and I think for me it was more around the people and the team and the environment rather than the the you know unkicked career goals. I mean, I'd already been in the workforce full time for sort of 16, 17 years. And 
I, yeah, just this caught up in when I go back and then thinking, oh, hang on a second. If I can build the people around me, like I don't, I don't need to. There's nothing else there that I can't fulfill myself in my own business. Mm. It was just that, that, I guess that mindset shift of what that traditional job represented. Absolutely. And I think when you're on maternity leave, there is a, it's a perfect incubator really for building up, you know, your clientele, building up slowly the capacity within your business because you have to do that anyway. So, yeah, I, it's funny. It's, um, when I look back, that was, that was a really important decision because it has led to, um, the business as you see today. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess as the, you know, CEO of your business and this in this podcast, I'm sort of talking to different CEOs and drawing from them expertise to help others, but also having that kind of peek inside your own, your own business life and your own business world. So, you know, for yourself in your business, how do you balance working on the business and working in the business? Mm, good question. Um, I think this is a really important question to um, to clarify as well because I know from the leaders that I coach, they you know we we all consume a lot of uh, a lot of guidance from other leaders that mm-hmm. we look up to. So we're reading books, we're listening to podcasts, we're we're taking on a, advice. You know, we're going to conferences, we're hearing stories. And a lot of the time we hear messages like, you know, in order to be an effective leader, you need to be up at 5 a.m. and have a structured routine. (laughs) You know, you need to um, have a regime. And absolutely that works for some people. And I, I think that structure is really important for certain working styles. Um, for me, and I'm going to bring in a, a little bit of insight into some of, um, uh, you know, my thinking and behavioural uh, profiles because we're going to be talking a little <laughs> bit about that today. Um, but, you know, I'm a type four learner, so big picture, dot connector, you know, quite directed by my vision. Mm. Um, and that's uh, according to the format model. Yeah. Then, I'm also um, an SI in the DISC model, which is steadiness and influence. Um, and so that influences my working style in, in the sense that um, I've got this big picture kind of, you know, I, I see opportunity a lot and I am okay to take a risk. I feel really comfortable connecting quite complex ideas into something that's useful mm. for people. Um, but then I've got this steady steadiness um, part of my profile as well. And I've learned over the years that I actually do need to lean into systems to be a great executor or implementer. So um, as much as I, um, I don't always kind of prescribe to that sort of, you know, just that idea that, um, I've got a balance or, you know, that there is a way to do that working on and working in the business really effectively all the time. I know for me that having really great systems helps me to be effective. I can, you know, empty my brain when I have those big ideas. Um, You know, my thinking progresses pretty quickly. So I have to 
uh, I have to allow other people to keep up with that too. Otherwise they feel a bit left behind. Um, And time block efficiently, that really helps me as well. So, um, you know, that balance between working on and working in the business is really a, a constant dance, but it is that juxtaposition between the the big picture and then knowing that I I need that structure yeah to be effective and um in doing that I just have to prioritize both you know and and I'm always finding the dance between both you know and and some weeks it's one way some weeks it's the other and some weeks it's a lovely balance where I get to the end of Friday and I think wow (laughs) that's been really nice yeah Um, and then, you know, another thing, I don't know, you and I have talked about this lots, Marianne, is the importance of just getting that team, you know, that right team in place that works to their strengths and allows you to do um, the the work that, that only you can do in yeah. the business, which is um, working on the business. No one else is going to do that. Yeah. Apart from the CEO, apart from the leader in the way that a leader or CEO will do it. So um, I think it's really important to, yeah, have those great systems around you but then also have that great team around you um, that allows you to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that playing to your strengths as well and and I think you're so right, that work that only you can do because I think there's, there's that risk of feeling disconnected. I mean, I know I've certainly had the times where them sort of, okay, I'm building the team and that's really good. And and then you kind of muddy, well, who am I? And, and I think that's, you know, my own nature to be quite task orientated is then it's sort of like, well, if I'm not doing the do day in, day out, like what is my, what is my role here? What what are what am I for? And I think remembering all the things that the leader and and you know the the CEO as well needs to keep their eye on needs to I feel like saying the puppet master but it you know it doesn't obviously do the team justice of, of who they are but it's you know the, the person behind the scenes almost you become more behind the scenes making sure everything is running making sure everybody is okay you know everybody's where they need to be and is supported and that where you know we're tracking towards what we need to track and and it's it is it's a huge shift and and, it's, and you know I think the dance analogy is beautiful as well. It's such a dance, and I think some days you feel like you're yeah you're ready for the stage, and the, the other days you feel like <laughs> you know the the when you used to take your little kids to the the ballet class <laughs> and they just kind of plot around the place. <laughs> yeah, and so important as well that you know we um we challenge that idea of balance. Yeah. You know, balance is a practice and I think, you know, a lot of the time you're not going to get it right. Yeah. A lot of the time you're going to be working on it. You know, a lot of the time it's not going to feel, you know, it's going to feel like that sort of struggle or juggle, which, you know, again, uh, I think we need to challenge those words as well. But, um yeah, I, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to get that right all the time, you know, that work-life balance, yeah. that energy balance. And sometimes the best thing that you can do is actually accept that this is this is a practice almost like parenting. <laughs> you know, every day you're trying to get that right and sometimes 
all you're doing is learning. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, I I guess uh, to just reiterate that um, I, I, I don't think I've ever met anybody that has that completely figured out because I don't think it's a destination. I think it's a journey and it's, it's something that is evolving every day. And that as long as you practice it, Mm -hmm. um, you're getting halfway there. (laughs) And yeah, I think as as well as being a journey, it's fluid, isn't it? Because different things get thrown to you, you know, you, you have those magical weeks where everything's to task and everything, you know, is humming and you've got the time to do the extra, you know, the the deeper work that you wanted to do. And then you have weeks where, you know, it all goes out the window. And, and I think you're right, not putting that pressure on on ourselves to think I have to be in balance. And, and I think accepting that sometimes, yeah, sometimes you do have to work at night, but you shouldn't have to work at night all the time. And, and, and that is, you know, and then, then other times you can have a week off and and do the things that you love because that's what you've built your business to have that flexibility to do and and you know as long as you're not too far in either direction all the time I think um yeah yeah you're practicing and sometimes sometimes we have to work at night and sometimes we want to as yeah, well yeah absolutely and so I think that's that, that's an important part of balance as well you know what are you making what are you making decisions about? What are you making choices around? And sometimes those choices as a leader or a CEO are to work a little bit harder this week, work a bit longer because you know that it's going to get you somewhere Mm. where you want to get to or, you know, maybe you've got a week off coming up and you know Mm. that you get a breath there. Um, But I think making that conscious decision around that word balance is really important. Yeah, no, I love that. And the next thing I'm going to ask you, you touched on briefly, and it is the it is the CEO cliche, really, of the morning habits. And I think partly why I ask this question to people is is to see the behind the scenes because I don't think mm. you know I definitely read all the five a.m. club stuff, and I was like, this is not for me. <laughs> I'm not a five a.m. How can I be successful and not get up at five a.m.? So I'm very fascinating. You you hear that other voice that happens internally, right? Which is, well, maybe I'm not cut out for this, or maybe I'm I don't have what it takes. You yeah. know, maybe I'm doing this wrong. Yeah. And I guess the 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 message that I want to get across about that is that absolutely, if you get up at five a.m., you will be more effective because you've got an extra <laughs> hours a day. Um, however, you know, if you know that your high energy peaks during the day are not first thing in the morning, yeah. which for a lot of people they aren't, yeah. um, work with that because you're going to be working with your natural cycles, your natural energy. Yeah. Everyone's got a different rhythm. So, yeah, I guess the um, the challenge is to find out what yours is. Yes. I think mine's sleep and coffee. What about you? <laughs> What morning habits do you prescribe to or do you partake yeah. in? Yeah, I I wouldn't say I'm a habit person either. So, you know, I've got things that I do regularly that I know make me feel really good. Yeah. And make me feel energised. Um, but I also allow myself not to do them if yeah. they're not feeling like the right thing to do for that day or that week. Um 
and I, as I've gotten older, I've been um, I've been better at, at working with my natural kind of rhythm and cycle. And I don't just mean cycle as a woman, but <laughs> cycle in terms of energy. I know what happens for me throughout the year. Yeah. Um, I know what happens for me throughout a week. I also know what happens for me um, generally within a day. Yeah. And so I know within those sort of, you know, those timeframes, what I can work with and how do I get the most out of that time. Yeah. Um, so most mornings I would do something to move my body. It doesn't need to be, you know, a workout as such, but some mornings it is, yeah. um, but I, I ocean swim, I play tennis, as you know. <laughs> um, I do walking meetings quite a bit. So if I'm on the phone with somebody, I, I encourage them to go for a walk as well. I think it's really good to just move your body while we're thinking, while we're, you know, accessing that strategic part of our brains. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think, over over the years I've worked out that really just that movement has been a really important part of my well-being and, and maintaining energy because yeah. I guess yeah. um, what I do can be really taxing. Um, I do it day in, day out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for me to perform at a high level, which I have to be mm-hmm. because, you know, I'm coaching people that are performing at a high level, (laughs) Um, I need to look after myself. So, you know, and sometimes that means a greasy toasty for lunch. (laughs) Um, I am not going to pretend that it it is not comfort food sometimes and it's not choosing to, you know, work on the couch if I can. Yeah. Um, But other times it's an hour workout. It's, you know, doing three hours of exercise a day. Um, yeah it just depends and I've gotten better at accepting and allowing myself to make those choices as they come up oh absolutely and I think yeah the work that you do there's a huge emotional output you know and 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 mental output obviously you know listening processing responding guiding and being so intentional about what you do and don't say you know definitely conversations you and I have had before about intentional thought but I can only imagine that some days that just leaves you empty because you you know there's there's so much giving in what you do as well yeah and you know I think that ties really nicely into what we want to talk about um in the second half of today's um podcast as well because um I think it used to it used to leave me drained but you know um and this also ties into the uh, advice that I give for any budding um coaches out there that when they ask how do you do it you know how do you start coaching and my advice is always just coach for 5,000 hours that's all (laughs) that's the only way to get really good at it you know just do a lot of coaching yeah Um, and I think you know getting back to I guess um, what I've learned over those thousands and thousands of hours of coaching over years and years with many many people um, and lots and lots of training and lots of lots of support behind the scenes as well is that yeah you just um 
you you've got to lean into your own emotional intelligence and your own ability to perceive your own emotions, manage your own emotions while you're helping other people manage theirs. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you're feeling, I'm, I'm pretty good at kind of picking up that feeling of, oh, yeah, today was a heavy day or yeah. um, I'm feeling drained, slightly drained today, therefore I've got to fill my cup tonight so yeah. I'm okay tomorrow. Um, whereas I think when you're starting out on that journey, you're less in tune with those subtle signs. Yeah. You'll, you'll, you'll be more, um, you, you, the tendency will be to push yourself more so. Um, yeah. and I think over years and years of coaching, you realize you, you just can't do that. Yeah. You've got to be really measured, um, make sure that you're filling your cup if it's feeling like it's it's um it's emptying out and do it before it gets to a point yeah. where you know you've got nothing to give yeah i think that's good advice for anyone you know that yeah. leading yeah. anybody yeah. absolutely absolutely yeah. but it's there's no shortcut to that no. um that is just again a practice a, a constant practice noticing observing you know and um and, and over thousands of hours mm-hmm. of doing it, you you finally learn the lesson. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that leads us beautifully into a chat today about emotional intelligence. Um, I obviously have just done some work with you on emotional intelligence, measuring emotional intelligence, which I found fascinating. And, you know, we both then thought it was a great opportunity to talk about what is emotional intelligence and, you know, what's the impact, I guess, for CEOs in terms of their business into, you know, tapping into their own emotional intelligence as well as, I guess, fostering it in other people? Yes. Yeah. Um, A topic that I'm super passionate about, um, not just because I, I know the research um, I have been trained in yes. the mesquite tool and, and I know a lot about the science behind how impactful building emotional intelligence is for leaders, but also um, because I see it every single day in our clients. Yeah. So it's almost like a real-life case study <laughs> <laughs> every day seeing you know, our beautiful clients using their EI over IQ mm. um, and getting the results from, from doing that. So there's hundreds of case studies um, and and research on the mm. impact of EQ. Um, but, you know, just as a little, I guess, a summary of that, you know, EQ has twice the power of IQ to predict high performance. So um, as much as uh, smarts Mm. are in, you know, is an important part of uh, a a leader doing a great job to be technically brilliant, Mm. to be clever, to be um, textbook intelligent. We know from the research that actually EQ um, has has twice the impact on the outcomes that leaders get. So, um, you know, that solid research over probably 
mostly around the the last sort of two to three decades. Yeah. Um, sort of, I guess, come out of uh, work like Daniel Goleman's work, um, obviously, but he was not the, you know, sometimes it's, it's uh, spoken about that Daniel Goleman was the sort of grandfather of EQ, but there were lots of researchers, um, uh, you, you know, looking into EQ yeah. way before his very famous book was written. Um, but, you know, there's so many positive impacts of, um, you know, EQ on different parts of someone's business, you know, um, obviously leadership, yeah. ability to lead other people and um, and be a, you know, a steward for yeah. others. But, um, you know, engagement, um, creating a positive climate or culture for people to work in, um, the ability to work as a team and collaborate, um, it's got a really positive impact on sales and customer loyalty. So there's, yeah. there's so much um, good stuff that can come out of, of building EQ in your team and, and yourself as well. Yeah. Um, it might be it might be useful if I shared um, the results of one of those um, one of those studies with your listeners as well. Um, there's a great uh, piece of work um, by David Rossetti from um, the University of Wollongong. Yeah. Um, there's quite a, a, a great body of research coming out of Australia at the moment, which is really um, exciting. Yeah. This um, piece of research was uh, particularly focused on EI and, uh, or sorry, EQ and its um, uh, its impact on leadership effectiveness. So they took um, just over forty senior execs um, and they asked them to complete the mesquite, so mm-hmm. the same test that um, that you completed, Marianne. Yeah. Um, and then they also, and it, uh, just for your listeners as well, this is a, a an ability test um, specifically designed to measure your emotional intelligence um, uh, quotient. So um, an IQ test as well, and then a personality test. So they got them to complete the mesquite, an IQ test, and a personality wow. test. Then they measured um, performance through a six a three sixty degree. Uh, assessment from that leader's direct reports and their managers. Yeah. And what they were trying to learn from that was, um, you know, whether that leader was performing and whether they were having that positive impact on their direct reports and the managers. And what they found was, um, you know, the... um, that higher EQ was associated with higher leadership effectiveness and that higher EQ explained um, the variance uh, not explained by either the personality test or the IQ test. So this was um, particularly strong in one area of EQ, Mm. which was perceiving emotions. So the ability to... Um, know what other people were feeling, um, being able to read people accurately, yeah, um, being really good at recognizing your own emotions and your own feelings, and um, your ability to 
express those feelings appropriately and um, also your ability to read between the lines with dealing with people and in conflict. Yeah. And imagine for a leader, you know, that is an incredibly valuable set of skills. Yeah. And a set of skills that, you know, we know f- from this research can actually be built over time. Um, much like IQ, you know, you can practice it. Again, that word practice. Um, and, you know, there's all sorts of studies out there as well that um, have shown when IQ goes up, so does uh, revenue, so does profitability, yeah. um, so does employer engagement. Yeah. Um so, you know, there's lots of reasons to be investing in this mm. and um, to, you know, cultivate it in yourself but also in the team. What was your experience of doing <laughs> the mesquite? Um, I mean, it was absolutely fascinating, as you know, and I guess for me a little bit overwhelming Yeah, because getting such... I find it hard to say. Getting such strong results, I'll say, I found a little bit overwhelming. It's sort of like I I haven't really known how to not emotionally acknowledge it, but, I, you know, I don't want to be an egotistical person walking. Maybe that's my high IQ worried about my high e, I'm sorry, my high EQ worried about my effect of me thinking I have a higher EQ on other people. I'm in like a, an inception hole. Um, but I think, look, it, it explained a lot of stuff for me. And, I mean, I've always talked about like a strong gut feel, uh, you know, for people, for situations. And it's it's hard when you feel an intuitive or a you know, you're not always guided by the the facts and figures. And and I love facts and figures. You know, I love data and I love numbers. Um, but you know, there's definitely another side of me that that reads the room, that reads reads people and and I think the validation that maybe that's not just a whim was really interesting to go actually you know, I've completed this test, I can break down my results, I can see where my strengths are. And that feels quite validating to know. It's not just me saying, oh, I had a good feeling about that person. Because we all say those sorts of things, and they don't ever really feel very weighted. Um, I, you know, I I do believe I can, I can generally tell when, you know, a group of, you know, there's disharmony in a group of people, or somebody's not feeling engaged or heard or valued and 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 those sorts of things and I think as a leader you know there's such there's such a um opportunity there and you know with my with my team and with my clients where I've been able to I guess tune into that and you know I have you know at some point not that I've cared too much but you know I've definitely skewed to to the people pleasing side of of life for a very long time and I think you know the 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 EQ and the mesquite tool almost helps me to understand in some ways how to acknowledge other people's emotions mm. but not to then make it my responsibility to 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 fix them just because I can see what they are and 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 you know I can read what people are going through you know not then making it my responsibility to yeah 
to to make it positive for them. Absolutely. It goes back to, you know, when we went through your results, um, the, the question that I asked you was, you know, okay, what do we do with this? Because, <laughs> you know, for the listeners out there, you know, Marianne's results were probably the highest that I've ever seen. And I've been using this tool and been accredited in this tool for, you know, many years. And um, it it unearthed a strength um, for her own leadership, but also almost a kind of a little gem that we, we unearthed that we knew was there, <laughs> but we suddenly had the data to um to to support okay wow we've got we've got something that you know could be incredible here for your leadership journey yeah Um, and I guess that's the thing isn't it how how do we use it to our advantage rather than it being a um a, a a skill that takes us down a path of of putting other people's needs before our own before the businesses before our clients and that is the tricky thing with EQ that you find a uh, a beautiful balance between you know using it as a skill for good for others Mm -hmm. and for yourself while it not um, taking you down a path of you know overanalyzing feeling too much yeah taking on the feelings of other people, you know, um, taking on the responsibility for other people's feelings. Yeah. You know, finding a way that you can actually use it as a tool to build business acumen versus take away from you as a leader. And it's it's a tricky, it's a tricky dance again. Yeah. Just dance is becoming a <laughs> theme in today's combo. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, and how we do that is we've just got to be really strategic about how we use it. Yeah. And I think it's like all information and, you know, again, like knowledge is power. And just knowing that gives me a different lens to see that kind of need to make everybody happy. Like it gives me a different lens to see that through <clears throat> and to understand that it's you know, my need to come, you know, my need to make other people happy may also just be the fact that I, it's that empathy, you know, I just feel it. I feel, I feel everything for everybody else. And, and, and you're right, you know, how can I use this knowledge to empower others in some way to take responsibility for themselves and where they're at and to, you know, to be their own, I want to say people pleaser, but, you know, to be their own solution. And I think it's that, you know, that rescuing and that that just feeling everything and wanting to dive in and, and make sure that nobody feels anything uncomfortable ever. But really it, it's about empowering people to realise what they're feeling, you know, in some ways maybe help them see it the way I see it and then, you know, help support them as they move themselves to to a better place. And, you know, I, I even just saying that, I think of it as as the role of parent as well. You know, it's so similar. You, you know, I think we're all told and and rightly so, you know, not to rescue our kids, not to solve the problems. My mm-hmm. my son's just started high school and, you know, the school basically said, if we can ask you anything, it's just to stay out of it. And if they have a problem with the teacher, let them be the first to deal with it. If they're wrongly you know, accused or wrongly punished, but let them be the one that stands up for themselves. Or if they, 
they're disorganized and they forget the thing on the day let don't run it up to school and it's so true and I you know see parents in the in the group chat that aren't letting go and I just think we've got to you know it's that failing upwards as well like we have to let them we have to let them fail we have to let them make their own it's not life-threatening it's not you know if you wear the wrong shirt on the wrong day you'll bounce back (laughs) it's um yeah I think that that need to rescue and balancing that. Yeah, and the, the, that balance between wanting to be a leader and sometimes um, getting that mixed up with being a manager. Mm. You know, um, leading isn't always solving the problem for no. someone or managing the task or, yeah. as you were saying, stepping in. <laughs> and even if you know the answer, you know, yeah. just resisting telling somebody that you know the answer and actually finding a space where you can just be a steward you know you can be a guiding light you can pose the right question that potentially helps someone else build their own EQ and um, manage it more sustainably in the future because then they're not looking to you for the answers then they're not looking to you to, to be the one that steps in and, and solves the problem. Yeah. They're able to do it themselves with a bit more confidence next time. And, you know, it, it's very, very similar to parenting. Okay. <laughs> I can't tell you how much. <laughs> and it's that letting go as well, like because there's a validation in being the go-to. There's a validation in being the problem solver and you know it doesn't it feel great when someone you know when you know the answer and you can tell that person or when you can solve the problem and show them how to you know wrap it up and put the bow on it you know and so I think it's a there's a letting go like my my worth is not solving these problems you know my my you know and I think there's and again like the the retreat we did together last year like so much of that comes to mind in that letting go like not being the filler of gaps not being the you know letting other people fall letting other people fail and and learn from that because failure is just it's just a step it's a stepping stone in a in a longer journey and and I failed you know to get where I was I had to fail at things and letting other people and again parenting teams you know letting failure happen because that's where the growth is and and none of it matters none of it will define the person Mm. And so much about emotional intelligence as well because, um, you know, one of those hallmark characteristics of, um, of high emotional intelligence is, is the acceptance of all emotional states. Mm. So, you know, much like the acceptance of failure, yeah. being okay to feel disappointment, being okay to feel anger, being okay to feel grief if you feel, you know, it, a path that you were going down is lost or, you know, a, a, a hire hasn't worked out or, yeah. you know, a, um, a part of your strategy needs to be reworked. You know, there's a grief involved in having to change direction no matter how agile we are in our thinking. Yeah. And just being okay to, to, to be with those emotions as they come up. You know, like you were saying, you know, just um, accepting that part of success is trying things, testing, learning from them, yeah, failing, 
trying again, you know, and um, that you're not going to get it right every single time. Yeah. And that's just as valuable as kicking goals every time you yeah. try. Yeah, it's so true. So true, more valuable. You know, when you're when you're kicking goals, when you're winning easily, you're not really, you're just on rinse and repeat. You're not really growing. Absolutely. Yeah, you're just yeah. like, I'm good at this thing. I'll do it again. I'll do it again. But when you're not good, or, or, you know, when you're not finding it easy, it's that whole discomfort is is growth, isn't it? That's Ooh. when you're talking and, and trying. And I can tell you from, you know, our client's perspective, um, when we've had entrepreneurial thinkers, entrepreneurial leaders that um, have figured out a formula, have figured out a method to, to get that successful outcome, whether it be for their own business or for a client, um, the 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 challenge uh, is gone, yeah. and it you know it's really satisfying for a short period of time because they they've unlocked the potential mm-hmm. and they're suddenly like wow I've got I've got the formula, and then I can um, I, I can tell you now the experience is often then just of one trying to find that challenge again. Yeah. And they get bored really quickly yeah. and um they there's a hunger, there's an appetite for 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 the next thing. Yeah. And so, you know, again, going back to that word practice, you know, it, it it's um it's really important that we I guess accept and um and and welcome the whole process and the journey yeah. of getting yeah. to that successful outcome because um the successful outcome is not always what we expect it to feel like yeah yeah it's yeah once the kind of champagne's popped and the the party's over then again there's that it's almost like a grief of the achievement yeah well now what like now what will I what's my purpose now you know who am I now what what's the and I guess that's why those entrepreneurs that you know sell their companies for millions of dollars then go and start something else because that silence that stasis is almost unbearable to the to the discomfort of learning and growth yeah absolutely and I think you know emotionally intelligent leaders can see that in themselves that they need that constant challenge and they need to find the thing that that pushes them and that enriches their experience of yeah. being a leader and feeling like they're making an impact and and they're able to you know set a vision, um, and 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 that's part of the journey you know that that you've got to keep finding those opportunities to grow and to learn and to you know just deepen your experience because um, it's the process that actually engages us if we're. Yeah true entrepreneurs you know at the core it's the process that's the fun bit and that is failure like you said and sometimes it's the hard emotions and sometimes it's the you know it's it's the hard bits along the way yeah 100 percent. before we wrap up Mm. what do you think as leaders and I guess as CEOs how can we how can we build EQ in others and, and, you know, use it within our organisation? Yeah, good question. So um, 
there's lots of models that um, help people explain EQ and there's also lots of diagnostics out there that you mm. can use. The one that we use is mesquite um, and, you, you know, we use that because it is an ability test. So it's a test that um, actually tests your ability to do this as a skill yeah. versus a self-report or versus what other people might think mm. um, or see in your um, y- their experience of you. Yeah. And therefore um, it can't be faked. It can't be, uh, it can't be, you know, shifted in any way. Um, and the mesquite measures uh, your, uh, your EQ in four different areas. Mm. And so you can kind of break it down into those four areas to work out, you know, where your strengths lie, where where potentially are, um, where's an opportunity for Mm. you to develop. And then from that, you can actually start to um, create some strategies to do that. And the beautiful thing about EQ is that there are lots of really meaty, practical um, strategies to build your EQ. So it's not sort of, there's not um, uh, lofty kind of ideas at the end of doing, doing um, a, a tool like the mesquite. There's yeah. really grounded practical strategies that you can start putting into place and you can shift your results quite quickly yeah. if you're um, practising those things. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you can set yourself a bit of a training manual yeah. after you know what your results are. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple of one, couple of strategies that I know are really really easy to implement and have um, the best kind of results. Yeah. So um, the first one being just knowing your own patterns of emotions, cycles, moods, like we were talking about earlier when we yeah. were talking about morning habits. Yeah. Um, if you know what works for you and you know the patterns in your own emotional response, you're going to be able to manage those um, emotional responses a lot more effectively in the future. Yeah. So, um, you know, just getting to know what those contributing factors are to um, to to your emotional state. So, mm-hmm. you know, what do you know creates certain emotions that are useful or not useful? Yeah, um, and you can do that through um, a number of ways. We've actually got a, and maybe I'll I'll send you a link um, for your listeners to download it because yeah. it's a free resource that we've got on our website, um, and it allows. Uh, so either you can look at the mood task match uh, exercise on our website or the emotions will exercise. Uh-huh. Yeah. And what those two exercises help you to do is just identify what's happening when you're feeling a certain emotion, um, what you need to do to cultivate a certain mood and what that mood is useful for, and then how to describe that emotion to others or to yourself mm-hmm. so um just knowing your patterns yeah. knowing those contributing factors really helps um the second little tip would be to um start to build a greater vocabulary of your own emotions so yeah. you know it's so um it's so tempting when we're busy ceos to just at someone asks you how you are mm-hmm. and it's so tempting to just say yeah i'm great i'm fine 
or you know or the um the the you know Pollyanna optimist who constantly says I'm terrific you know <laughs> I am exceptional today <laughs> um even though they're dying inside um rather than saying fine or okay practice just picking three emotions that describe what you're feeling to a, a deeper degree. And those three emotions could be really different from one another. Yeah. That's another important part of EQ <laughs> that, um, you know, uh, emotions can sit alongside each other quite yeah. comfortably and look really different. Yeah. So you feel angry, surprised and um, anxious all at the same time. Um, but the the three emotions that you pick um, give your team or give your clients or whoever you're communi- communicating to a better understanding of the complexity in which it is to be you as a human being. Yeah. So it's not just fine. It <laughs> is, um, it, 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 you know, it's inviting them into your emotional world. And what that does as well is is help you practice yeah. building um, the vocabulary around your emotions. Um, a third one being paying, paying close attention to micro expressions. <laughs> you and I have talked about this so much. We have. And so, yeah, and, you know, just for your listeners, like you've had times where you've picked up micro expressions. Yeah. And you've doubted yourself. Yeah, that's true. You've thought, hmm, was I seeing something there? <laughs> now we know your mesquite results. We know <laughs> that you were spot on. <laughs> um, but just paying that conscious attention to um, expressions that flash over someone's face within a split second of them feeling a certain way. So a micro-expression is an expression that sometimes is just barely visible and will flash across someone's face when uh, maybe you say something to them or you ask them a question or they listen and observe and you just notice a flash of something and you're not quite sure what it is, Um, that Conscious attention can give you insight into what might be happening with your team, what might be happening with your clients much more accurately than listening to what they're saying to you. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, you can do training to get better at that. You can can just sit back and observe people. Yeah. Practice doing that. Um, But that gives you this this little secret tool in your toolkit that you can basically bring out whenever you whenever you need to gain some deeper insight into what might be going on for a person because yeah. as human beings we're great at telling you know especially the leaders and CEOs yeah. of our businesses or the businesses that we're working for what they want to hear yeah for sure but micro expressions cannot be hidden so um <laughs> It's a really, really good one to pay attention to. Um, And then, you know, another great little tip um, before we finish up is just changing the context of an environment or 
uh, you know, a um, location or timing of an event Mm -hmm. um, in order for you to get the best emotional response out of yourself or those involved. So if you can feel something Mm -hmm. emotionally happening, say, in a meeting or in a session um, and you're aware that it's not useful, yeah. Then just practice changing the context or the location or the timing or anything that you've got within your control. Yeah. Practice just changing and tweaking those um, those things that are you know quite easy to control. Yeah. yeah. And you find that just those little shifts can help shift emo- an emotional mm-hmm. response quite quickly. Yeah. yeah. So, um. Yeah. They're probably my top tips. They're great. They're very practical, which is fantastic. And I think I think what's great about them as well, they're not just tips for the, the CEO, the leader, but they're also tips that you can work with your team to practice and to experiment with and to, to learn from. So I think, you know, obviously you touched on that amazing research that the impact of EQ is so high on a business. So if we can be better ourselves, but also empower our team to recognize and interpret and and sort of gain more control or or more insight into that EQ space, you know, we're all going to benefit. So that's really fantastic. Thank you. Pleasure. Pleasure. And there's lots more tips and, um, and strategies that people can employ, but that's a good place to start. Yeah, and I will share links um, to the resources on your website as well because they are so fantastic and very generously free as well. So thank you. Thank you so much for your time today, Amy. You know, I adore every conversation I have with you, but to to have one in this format and to be able to, you know, give others an insight into this, you know, really important space and, and such a high-impact area that I don't think a lot of people talk about has been so valuable. It's a pleasure. It's something I'm very passionate about. So it's been nice to talk about it with you. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to another episode. If you don't want to miss one, make sure you subscribe to the show in your podcast app. And if you love it, be sure to share it with friends and colleagues who you think could benefit from increasing their digital marketing confidence. Want more? Head to MarianneAmys.com to find out how you can work with me directly, to reach out to have me speak at your event, or to grab yourself some free resources.